Chapter 12, The Halifax. Rass and Callie followed the blonde woman outside. The suffocating heat of the engines from the ship above made it difficult to breathe and cast the whole of New Crispin in a sickly green glow. The silhouette of the monstrosity blacked out most of the sky above except for four green glowing orbs on each corner of the structure where its engines burned. It was clearly larger than the Dauntless. What's it doing here? Joey shouted to Pop over the thrum of the engines. Pop shook his head. It should be on the front lines. It must be retreating. Tiny flashes of light caught Rass's attention from behind the Halifax. The growing howl confirmed cannon fire before little eruptions pocked the underbelly of the capital ship. Helios brought them here, Pop said. That son of a lack. He began hobbling toward the docks. Everyone to your ships. Sky pirates inbound. Krantz? Where's Krantz? On it, the surly barkeep said as he exited the building. Yaddy, help me prime the cannon. The blonde woman followed Krantz as he broke off from the crowd. Above, a green light flashed from the Halifax's port side with a familiar unholy scream that set Rass's skin crawling. A beam formed behind the ship, lashing out at one of the Sky Pirate vessels. The pirate airship erupted in an incinerating wash of green, illuminating the skies around the explosion to reveal the inbound swarm of Sky Pirates. What was that? Callie asked. That's horrible. Rass stared blankly before blinking away the bright line burned into his vision. I don't know, but we gotta go, Rass said. He clasped Callie's hands and began leading her back toward the docks before a hand caught his shoulder. We could really use your help, son, Pop said. Will you fight with us? Rass struggled for words. He wanted to tell the old man he wasn't his father, that he didn't even have a cannon, and that he couldn't make a difference unless he made it to the wild, but it all felt cowardly in the moment. He opened his mouth to speak before the sound of harnesses grinding against cable drew his attention above them. A dozen helmeted men in collective uniforms fell into the midst of the dispersing crowds with rifles at the ready, shouting orders over the din of cannon fire and engine wash. Rass pulled the large wrench from its holster and held it at the ready. Erasmus Veer, one of the soldiers shouted. We are looking for Erasmus Veer and Callista Torbion. Helping the collective was a low priority for the residents of New Crispin. Everyone scattered. I think this is a little overkill for bringing in a kidnapper, wouldn't you say? Callie asked. Rass looked up at the Halifax, taking in its size. A bit. Hey, you two. One of the men in uniforms pointed at Rass and Callie. You need to come with us. This place is going to be overrun with pirates. Pop interjected himself between Rass and the soldier. Not if that thing makes a stand for us, he said, pointing to the Halifax. That's not our mission. Now step inside. The soldier leveled his rifle at Pop. You brought them here and you're leaving them with us? Pop said. Step aside. That is your final warning. It's all right, Pop, Rass said, stepping in front of the old man. It's better this way. Good, the soldier said. Strap into one of the harness. Before the soldier could react, Rass swung the large wrench, knocking the rifle loose. Run, he shouted, leading Callie toward the dock. What are you doing? Callie asked breathlessly, stumbling into a run behind Rass. The longer it takes for the collective to bring us in, the longer the Halifax has to fight the pirates. Rass said as the first warning salvo from the soldiers ripped past them and into a storefront window, which means less pirates for New Crispin. They're shooting at us. I thought they wanted us alive, Callie said. The Halifax's weapons screamed again and they turned a corner to see the brass fox waiting at the dock less than 100 yards away. Thunderous crashing noises erupted and Rass couldn't tell if it was from the storm below or the battle above. Look out, Callie shouted, yanking back on Rass's arm and stopping him from running directly into the path of a half-airship on a collision course with New Crispin. The edges of the back half of the vessel were simply cauterized and smoldering where the front half used to be. The wreckage crumpled, shooting wood splinters everywhere before screeching to a halt, effectively cutting off their path to the docks. There, fire. A pursuing soldier knelt with the tube over his shoulder. Rass turned and wrapped himself around Callie before a mesh net knocked them off balance, engulfing and dragging them to the ground. The small squadron of collective soldiers ran up and began securing ties into the netting before aiming the large gun at the descending collective airship. The gun fired, sending cabling out to strike the airship, and before Rass could attempt to cut his way free, the net lifted with a jerk, and they were on their way to the Halifax as the battle over New Crispin began.
In his captain's quarters, Foster Helios III wore a grin he couldn't have lost if he tried. The ornate brass sphere from Hal Napier sat in the middle of his desk. He placed a magnifying glass over it, inspecting the craftsmanship. The fine lines of filigree etched into the sides resembled a stormy sea of clouds, a product of a bygone era. Was this the only thing of note on their ship? Foster asked the three officers standing across the desk from him. We pulled an old grapple gun that you might like for your collection off the young man, one officer said. Yes, I should very much like to see that. Foster said, his eyes flicking to the walls of his captain's quarters, which were lined with artifacts from the earliest days of wind merchants, back before the adventure of saving the world had turned into board meetings on profitability and risk matrix analysis. Where are they now? We're running them through the battery of tests, the second officer said. Good. They should be nice and pliable when I speak with them. Foster placed his bare hand on the brass orb and held it high. But what do we do with you? Rast lay strapped to a gurney at a 45-degree angle inside a glass dome. The worst part hadn't been the different gases they subjected him to, or even the needles that forced him to fight the urge to vomit every time one unceremoniously jabbed him. Those came a close second and third to having Callie merely ten feet away from him in her own glass dome, scared, crying, and in pain as the two men in lab coats behind their console subjected her to the same treatment. His voice had gone hoarse hours earlier from screaming at the scientists and trying to reassure Callie, who would look over at him but couldn't hear or understand him. The familiar hissing noise returned as air filtered into the dome again. This time a burning sensation tingled throughout his body before sending chills up his spine. Callie just cried. She looked over at Rass and mouthed, or maybe said, he couldn't tell. Why? Rass violently shook the gurney, fighting their strengths to no avail. Leave her alone, he screamed repeatedly. The scientists appeared to take special interest in one of their readouts and looked up at Rass with confusion, then delight. One of them twisted a knob and the gas filtering in had Rass fighting to stay awake, as if he would somehow be more capable of protecting Callie if he remained conscious. The last thing he saw before blackness took him was her beautiful, tear-filled blue eyes, pleading with him. The vision of Callie melted away into a gunmetal gray ceiling that provided absolutely no clue as to Rass's whereabouts. He was horizontal, that much was certain. He attempted to sit up, but his body failed to obey any commands. Looking around was the extent of his range of motion. His ears rang in a high-pitched feminine voice spoke in muffled tones, its origin unknown. In his peripheral vision, he could make out some straight black lines. Metal bars? His limited ability to look around hindered him from surveying the entire cell, but from what he could ascertain, he was alone. No Callie. The voice became clearer. Hello? It said. You look awake. Are you ignoring me, Rass? The woman's voice was childlike. Blink if you can understand me, she said. Rass blinked. Oh, good. You're just paralyzed and not ignoring me. I hate when people ignore me. He tried to speak, but his best attempt produced a hum. Where's Callie, you say? That's terribly romantic of you to be so concerned. Tell me you've at least had that date before you wound up here. Dixie. Someone approached his cell, unlocking it. Two men entered. Him? Yeah. Foster wants him sobered up before they talk. A needle plunged into his arm. A pinch and a burning sensation flooded through ass. He could still feel everything happening to him. His whole body began tingling like a limb growing new nerves. The men left the cell, slamming the door. Where were you? Rass mumbled, trying to locate Dixie's position. He attempted moving his head, but waves of nausea crashed over him. Yoo-hoo, Dixie said. Next cell over. You're lucky they're speeding up your recovery. It took me the better part of a day before I could talk again. They haven't been able to shut me up since. Rass didn't doubt it. Oh, were you here? Rass slurred. What's that? Rass grunted in frustration. How here? Oh, that's a horribly long story. I started about 18 years ago, and my father... Rass rolled his eyes, sending stars into his vision. Not that far back. No, of course not. What girl doesn't want her backstory skipped over? You are a captive audience in most senses of the word, you know. He lolled his head to the left to see Dixie sitting on the floor the next cell over, hugging her knees. She wore a plain gray jumpsuit. 
She cocked her head and wiggled her fingers at him. Hello, she said. Boy, they must have run you through the ringer back there. You look like death warmed over. What they do? Rass asked. I have no idea. They're just testing us for something. I thought the collector just sold fuel. Silly me. Oh, how I got here. My escape attempt on derailleur didn't go like I hoped. Go figure. Police caught me and the collective bought me. She stood and walked up to the bars, resting her forehead between two of them. Bought? Rass was able to flex his arm slightly. Well, they bought the police, and I guess the collective needs test subjects, so what if a prisoner with no family goes missing? She sighed. Look at me, accidentally giving you details of my backstory. You'll care about me at Erasmusphere. Rass tried moving his leg and successfully swung it off the metal cot, inadvertently causing the rest of his body to awkwardly follow it to the floor. He crumpled onto his side, his body awash with tingles. Up and at him, flyboy. Dixie cocked her head. Did you really talk to Hal Napier? I overheard the guards making a bet and I'd love to get a piece of that action with some inside info. Where's Callie? Rass said as he began to sit up slowly. The sensation started to subside. Probably still wherever they tested us, and if you wait long enough, she'll probably wind up in the cell next to you, she said, pointing to the empty cell behind Rass. So, Napier, he'd have to be like 500 years old, right? Rass eyed her. You shouldn't believe everything you hear. He carefully reached an arm out to the metal bar to study himself. I take it you've already tried escaping? Dixie laughed. One doesn't escape the Halifax. I just wish I had a porthole. We won a battle while you were out, but I think they're at it again. We? I count anyone not a sky pirate as we. Doesn't mean I like the collective, she said, idly running her fingers along the metal bars of her cell. You know, they aren't the only ones fighting those sons of lax. Some of us wage our own private little wars. Why do you hate them so much? Rass hauled himself off the deck and sat on the cot. Backstory! I knew you'd come around, she said, perking up considerably. Well, I grew up with a bunch of wind merchants that built a city over Convergence. Crispin? No, but close. Same story, same pirates. Anyway, about nine years ago, she stopped suddenly. Oh, come on! Six armed guards approached from down the hallway and stopped in front of Rass's cell. They slid open the part of the door for Rass to put his hands through to be cuffed. Foster Helios requests your presence. Requests? He stood and offered his hands. His restraints ratcheted tight, digging into his wrists. The door slid open and Rass looked over at Dixie. Tell him I say hi, she said as Rass fell into formation with the six men. He wondered how much trouble people went through to have an audience with arguably the most powerful man in Atmo. After several long corridors and one trip up a stairwell, the burning sensation wore off, leaving Rass feeling oddly refreshed. They reached a set of guarded double doors that swung open upon Rass's arrival to reveal a room roughly twice the size of the Brass Fox's deck. An octagonal window running from ceiling to floor flooded the room with daylight and displayed the battle raging on outside. Rass wondered how long he had been unconscious in his cell. From the ceiling and the walls hung artifacts that would have made even the richest museum curator envious. Original parts of an elder airship, prototype sketches of blueprints for the Atmo project, and trinkets of all sorts from history lost. Rass wondered if there was anything in the room that didn't have the first in its description. Foster Helios III stood from the desk in the middle of the ornate room. With outstretched arms and a broad smile, he said, Now, now, this is not how we treat our guests. Restraints weren't necessary. One of the men behind Rass removed the cuffs before all but two of the guards exited the room. I couldn't help but see you've noticed my grandfather's collection, Foster said, motioning for Rass to have a seat in front of the desk. Inspiring, isn't it? I guess when you create Atmo, you get to keep the nice things for yourself. Rass remained still. You torture me and my friend and you want me to sit at your desk? Torture? Foster lifted an eyebrow. Hardly. The knack testing process is unpleasant, I'll concede the point, but I assure you it leaves no permanent damage. He smiled. You'll even find your wounds will heal once the effects have worn off. Marvelous process. Why put us through it? I can't have a knack ignorant of his or her ability accidentally blowing up half the Halifax, now can I? A lot of energy gets thrown around in battle, Foster said. I noticed. New feature? Rast asked. New war. My friend and I aren't knacks. 
Your concern for Miss Torbillion is noted, but I didn't make the rules. Raskoffed. Why did you bring me up here? Erasmus, I'll be up front with you, Foster said, leaning against the front of his desk. You have done what my father spent the latter half of his life failing to achieve. Cause the city to start sinking? Maybe he and I have a lot more in common than you think, Ras said. No, Erasmus, Foster said, clearly annoyed. You have met with Halcyon Napier and tasted the air that keeps him alive. The Halifax shook slightly as his weapons fired on the Sky Pirate fleet. Shouldn't you be out on the bridge winning the war? Ras asked. This is more important, I assure you, Foster said, walking back to Ras. Who is the first wind merchant and why? A history quiz? Humor me, and I'll end Miss Torbillion's test early upon your word that she is not a knack. Ras narrowed his eyes. Hal Napier, because he discovered the origin of all energy. Exactly, Foster said. He pressed a button on his desk. Yardly, and the girl's testing. An affirmative crackled from his unit. Better? Ras nodded. What if I told you that you could be the most famous wind merchant of all, even more so than Napier? I can't exactly go discover another origin, Ras said. Can't you? Foster asked playfully. You've already met someone eight times older than you, and you're discounting what's possible. What exactly are you proposing, Mr. Helios? Ras asked. That you take the same deal my father offered your father. Excuse me? It doesn't surprise me that he didn't tell you. Publicly, he was so outspoken against the collective. You're lying. He actually came to my father, telling of Hal Napier's need for wind merchants to retrieve tankfuls of air from the wild, then offered us the location of the source of this fountain of youth in return for... something, Foster said, sliding into his desk chair. Ras finally said, Which was? Such things were never shared with me, but I do know what I can offer. The battle raged on outside. Ras was amazed at how Foster didn't even take note of it. Do you know? Yes. If you lead us into the wild, and I'm talking about just crossing the mountains, not even trying to find the Fountain of Youth or Origin or whatever it is, I will do three things. One, I will credit you as the wind merchant that discovered the new origin. But I wouldn't have, Ras said. History has a selective memory, Foster says, gesturing dismissively. Two, I will install Helios engines on Verdant with a lifetime supply of fuel. Ras thought the offer oddly familiar. Whose lifetime? The Collective's, Foster said. And three, I will commission a new ship for you. How does that sound? What happened to my ship? You'd prefer to keep that old thing? Foster asked, a distasteful look playing across his face. So it wasn't destroyed? Ras asked. Goodness, no. I ensured a team extracted it before New Crispin fell. Ras's heart sank. I... How did it fall? Sky Pirates, of course. You let them here. And you let us here. Foster said, folding his hands politely. I hope this underscores the importance of what I'm after and how willing I am to compensate those who aid me in finding it. Ras closed his eyes and couldn't escape the faces of Pop, Joey, Krantz, and everyone else's father had worked so hard to save. Then it must be incredibly, incredibly important, he said slowly. I assure you, it is. You're looking for the Fountain of Youth? Ras asked. He could feel himself shaking but hoped it was invisible. My father was. He obsessed over it later in life, Foster said with a sigh. I do suppose when nearing the end, one finds ways to distract oneself from the inevitable. What do you think is in the wild? Well, something is keeping Napier alive, is it not? Foster asked. But let's just say that from what I've learned, stopping at immortality is a touch short-sighted. He smiled a devious smile. Ras, you have an opportunity to surpass your father. You would even travel with the safety of our numbers.
He slid open the drawer of his desk and delicately pulled Callie's brass orb out, placing it on the table. My grandfather invented this, he pointed a finger at some of the scroll work. It has his initials working to the engraving here. I can only imagine it still works. Rass fought his instinct to swat Foster's hand away from touching the orb. If Hal was right, Callie's tool for completing their mission had been compromised. After a thorough searching of your ship and your person, the only coordinates found were on the other side of the mountains, Foster said. Hal wouldn't have been so careless as to simply leave instructions to what is presumably the only backdoor into the wild, into the hands of someone so... you. He picked up the orb, hefting it. Hence this. So that's why I'm here, Rass said. Nobody can make it work, so you need a guide. I don't need anything, Foster said, his temper flaring. I'm offering you a fleeting opportunity. I have other methods of getting what I want. I'm, I'm thinking, Rass said. You misunderstand me. I'm not offering options, Erasmus, and thinking tells me you're coming up with some excuse. Show me how it works now, or I'll resume the test on Miss Torbillion, said Foster. Rast reached for the orb a little too eagerly and placed his fingers on the device like he had seen Callie do before. Several moments passed. Nothing. Foster's eyes narrowed. You're just the pilot. It's the girl I need, isn't it? He grabbed the orb from Rass's fingertips and motioned to the guards. No, no, I, I can use it. It just takes a moment to warm up, Rass said, backpedaling. Then why did you bring the girl here with you? She's, Rass said, thinking, entertainment? The battle outside intensified as another sky pirate ship erupted in green flame and disintegrated. It's obvious you care more about her than that, Foster said. She'll guide me and maybe provide some entertainment as well, he addressed the guards. Take him somewhere he won't stain anything. The guards were almost upon Rass as he dove forward across the desk and grabbed the brass ball from Foster's grasp. He slid to the floor, orb in hand. A clicking mechanism from underneath Foster's desk placed a pistol in Foster's hand, which he shoved point-blank into Rass's face. He pulled back the hammer on the flintlock to a full cock. Lack, Foster hissed, pulling the trigger with a spark of flame and expulsion of smoke.